0: Hello and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Sheryls Jocelyn, your host for the show. Happy December. I can't believe it's already the end of the year. (laughs) Happy holidays to everyone, no matter how you celebrate. First off, I want to thank my Patreons. You guys are awesome. I would not be able to continue this show without your support, so I really appreciate it. If you feel like these episodes are valuable to you and you appreciate my time and my energy to create this content. You can also help me out by donating to my Patreon. It is patreon.com slash the Canyons are calling. And with that you get a Canyon call every Wednesday, the first Wednesday of every month. And then also it's the only place where I post who I'm gonna be interviewing. So you have the opportunity to ask some questions, which may or may not be a good benefit. I don't know. <laughs> and also, I will send you a beer glass or a sticker depending on what tier you decide to join in on. Uh, you can donate anywhere from $2 up to 20 a month, or you can just make a one-time donation. I also accept PayPal. It's thecanyonsarecalling.com and Venmo, which is Cheryl's Rocks, R-O-X, and I will have links to those all in the show notes. Also, I do have my website up and going. It has the beer glasses and stickers and some dog tug toys and rope ends and things like that. So if you would like to support the show in that way, that's also awesome. If you have an idea for the show or a guest that you would like to have on, please reach out to me at thecanyonsarecalling at gmail.com and I will get you on here and tell your story. That's how most of these episodes have happened. I don't think I would have had near as many interviews as I have had because of people that have reached out to me. So please reach out. We'll get you or whoever you suggest on the show. Sometimes it takes a little while to get people on the show, but I do work on it and I listen to all my emails. So please reach out. It also just warms my heart when you just say hello and that you listen. (laughs) Enough about me rambling. Today I have on Derek Wolf. Derek first came out with the Moab Canary ring book several years ago and he just recently came out with a North Wash Canary ring book. And because of my love for Northwash, I decided that I wanted to get him on the canyon on this show to talk about his books. And so we talk not only about his books, we talk about climbing and caving and canyoneering and all sorts of outdoor fun. So enjoy my interview with Derek. So today I am here with Derek Wolf. and Derek is the author of the Moab canyoneering book, and he also just came out with a Northwash canyoneering book. And then Tom also mentioned to me that you, before canyoneering, were a climber and have some different climbing books as well. Is that right?
1: Uh, that's correct. Uh, mostly peak bagging oriented for uh, mountains in Colorado. I think I have four uh, books out, maybe a fifth coming soon for that. Those uh, include various hiking guides for um, the mountain ranges here in Colorado, such as the Elk Range, the San Crystal Range, the Front Range, and then the 10-mile Mosquito Range. So, yeah, primarily come from a catering and uh, climbing background.
0: Very awesome. Yeah. So where did you grow up and how did you get into the outdoors?
1: Uh, so I grew up in uh, Colorado and uh, I currently live in Highlands Ranch, uh, Colorado, which is a uh, um, suburb of Denver. Um, I got into the outdoors basically through the Boy Scouts and it all basically uh, began with caving. Uh, We did a family vacation near Carlsbad and I was really enamored with the caves there. And then uh, I think a week after I got back from that family trip, we had a uh, Boy Scout wild caving trip and that's how I got hooked into caving and primarily did caving and then uh, uh, recreational caving was fun but i wanted to get more into the exploration and uh during uh learning how to like get more into exploration i noticed i went with a caver uh, jim erickson who's a extremely famous climber as well here in colorado did a lot of the first ascents in uh, el dorado canyon uh was really bold anyways i ended up somehow doing a caving trip with him and i saw him climb in the cave and was like wow uh, he was really good at climbing and could get places in the cave that wasn't normally accessible so that's how i kind of got into climbing was to better caving so i ended up getting involved with climbing outside and then uh of course that helped improve the caving and then through climbing uh mountaineering and peak bagging through that so it was just kind of an evolved process from there and then uh i guess the canyoneering started i guess in 2007 2008 somewhere in there i was involved with the starting to get into the desert climbing uh Indian Creek in the Moab area and then um kind of as a side activity and for hiking we ended up doing some canyons and that's how I ended up getting hooked in the canyon um it was kind of a rest day thing but uh, that evolved into more of a passion for not just rest day but having uh canyoneering trips as well
0: so how did you get into writing books about your explorations
1: uh so it all basically started with uh kind of the peak bagging um, when I was doing a lot of the, the peaks in here in Colorado. Um, the was focusing a lot more. Obviously they have a lot of the 14ers are the popular thing, but I ended up working through that list and then uh, moved on to the Colorado 13er list, which is includes a list of over 600 summits. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of documentation on any of the routes or the mountains there. And I just ended up climbing a lot of those peaks and uh, Do that ended up writing trip reports kind of documenting the trips on the peaks and then uh, you know just over several years of doing that it didn't really end up. Anticipating on writing a book, but then had a collection of all the writings and beta and then had a community of friends and was able to pull from their beta and the different routes and then ended up uh, focusing on writing. uh, The front range 13 years guidebook, but. Oh, that was going to be a larger project, so I started with a smaller project, which ended up being uh, my first book, which was the Moab Canyoning book. Um, and again, that was kind of taken from after days of climbing in the Moab area, Fisher Towers and Indian Creek, and then uh, collecting the data, and then ended up writing like that smaller book to help kind of do everything. Because I did a lot of the formatting and maps all in uh, separate of the publisher there, and those were published through SharpEnd. Um. So it gave me like kind of the learning how to use InDesign and the maps. I was already pretty f- efficient Illustrator uh, from doing a lot of cave cartography. Um, but that's how I ended up kind of ended up writing the books. Was just kind of trying to get a collection of all the data before the internet was really wide open with a lot of that information so readily accessible. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've used your Moab the Moab book a couple of times. That I've been to Moab. It's been. Very helpful. And then I just like thumbing through it and looking at the pictures and reading about the canyons. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I was super excited when you came out with the Northwash book because I love Northwash area.
1: Right. and it was uh you kind of uh, you know, doing a, from the peak bagger uh list of ticking all the peaks or in a certain list, you know, like accomplishing the 13 is I've kind of taken that mentality toward a little bit toward canyoneering. So it's you know, I try to tick all the even maybe not the so good canyons just as a habit and then of course documenting those so that's kind of how you get like that larger collection of all the canyons from like the classics to maybe the ones that maybe don't want to do or do do
0: right sometimes those ones are good just to escape the crowds of people that are in the, the traditional ones
1: and yeah no i enjoy all senior. the canyons yeah and, you know, they get a little more exploratory because, you know, maybe the beta is not as good or as well documented. And there's always sometimes a surprise, which makes it, you know, exciting. Yeah. You now, that is kind of the drive for that. The same thing with, like, going back to caving was, like, the exploration drive. So, you know, going and doing all the canyons and trying to explore all of them. You know, it's that drive of exploration.
0: Yeah. So how many caves have you done in Colorado area?
1: Uh Caves. So I I caving is unlike canyoneering uh i take more of like a, a project mentality for the exploration so i usually pick like a longer cave and systematically work a singular cave um do a lot of caving in south dakota uh, new mexico colorado and then i gotta have a few survey projects in tennessee um i mainly focus on caving in south dakota because it has uh, the highest exploration value in terms of finding virgin cave and that's primarily in, uh jewel cave which is the national monument and then wind cave and uh participate in a lot of the camps there and uh for reference uh jewel i believe is now over 210 miles long and then wind is getting close to 160 miles long it's wow. so a lot of trips and exploration they keep going and uh it's always fun to find new virgin cave um each one's got their pluses and minuses and then uh Fort Stanton in New Mexico's has great exploration that probably has some of the best exploration potential in terms of like large, well decorated Virgin Cave, but you know, land issues with private property and things like that management the BLM makes that and flooding, because the uh, cave has a tendency to flood, which can slow down exploration for years at a time. So, and of course, that one's also really decorated. So the conservation aspect of doing that makes it difficult.
0: Yeah, I have yet and to then, do actual real caving, but I have friends that do it and it's intriguing. I'm a little yeah, bit but it's intriguing. You know,
1: it's, sure. it's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's kind of there's some parallels between uh caving and climbing or or canyoneering, I mean in terms of like the stemming and sometimes the squeezes and I definitely have, like the vertical aspect, although like canyoneering uh rope work is a little not as good in terms of anchor because it's a little more creative obviously in the canyon hearing environment whereas like caving you know it's a little bit more rugged and rid- rigid and of course you're sending a lot of the ropes too whereas like canyon hearing it's a lot more pulled down instead of having to climb back up yeah so you wouldn't necessarily like jug on a sand trap going up type i of s- came scenario. a friend
0: asked me if that was a possibility and it scared the crap out of me i was like hey tom is this like what do you think? And he's like, well, I would maybe use two sand traps to make sure you really fill them a lot and then like put a, you know, why can't I call it a safety on it to make sure it's not going to pull down? And I was like, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. That makes me super worried.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't want to juggle a sand trap. but No. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then a little bit of caving in Utah as well, but and then Colorado, it's uh, the caving in Colorado isn't generally stellar. I mean, there's a little bit of exploration potential. It's usually tight and cold, and not as good in terms of finding long caves, which is kind of what I'm after. It's like long going caves that kind of hopefully never end. So,
0: one day. So back to the canyons and the North Wash book. Um, what are some of your favorite canyons in the North Wash area?
1: Uh, the North Wash area. Um, uh obviously like the leprechauns are fun i really enjoyed redemption because it's scen- scenic and then you get a little bit of a slog fest but it's it's a pretty slog and then uh, obviously like this the sportiness of Santhrax is always fun um so those are some of my favorites but you know like i said easier ones are just as good hogwarts is obviously really good for a, a couple hours or whatever you can't beat the bang for the buck on that canyon
0: yeah the last time we went i was like we're not doing hogwarts this time but a couple right. people in the group hadn't done it yet so we ended up doing it and halfway through i was like i don't know why i have such a bad taste for this canyon It's so beautiful like yeah it's awesome <laughs> do you like the really tight squeezy canyons
1: i don't uh and that's probably from caving because in mean, caving like tight squeezes it's it's work and it's not like fun fun what you know so that's kind of gets to in k in at least in the canyoneering nearing you're like oh that's just like a lot of squeezing i mean they're fun here and there but uh, i wouldn't want to exclusively go for the tight ones all the time
0: i also agree they are a lot of work they're just physically demanding (laughs) how about moab what are some of your favorites there
1: obviously sgr i really enjoyed let's see here Pool arch is obviously really good um the canyons are tend to get a little busy because of uh, the guiding, but you know, that that's a good and bad thing, I think to introduce that, but those are probably some of my favorites, at least in the Moab area.
0: What's it been to watch that area grow and change so much over the years that you've been canyoneering?
1: It's actually changed quite a bit because I remember we were doing some of the first, you know, uh, doing those, you know, it wasn't as popular when they were guided and now it's, it's hard to, some of like the real classics like medieval chamber without running at least into a couple groups or guided groups or things like that. And then of course, like the increase in traffic and the uses on the BLM, you know, when I was climbing there in the 2000s, it was a lot easier to get a camping spot really close to town. Now, just with the explosion of outdoor recreation growth there in terms of mountain biking, hiking and the tourists, it's, it's pretty crazy to see how much that's changed in the last 15 years. It'll be interesting to see how that area and the other areas even like Northwash, north wash what they might look like in 5 or 10 years too and uh, you know that's kind of maybe one of the reasons for writing like a book is try to like standardize and minimize or point out impacts that help minimize that use issues that might help you know like work with arches national park on a lot of their stuff that was you know, they wanted to try to how to minimize and stick with standardized trails and things like that, instead of having like five different beta sources saying to take all these different ways, you know, obviously that's increased impact, a lot more social trailing, which yeah. was obviously a concern, which is kind of, I guess, a concern that you could see all over as the sport grows and that outdoor recreation grows.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's happening everywhere. The trails are just people wandering to viewpoints or just wandering off trail so much and then so right. many more people just following those footsteps. Yeah. I've noticed right. a huge impact in Zion and Canab area for sure.
1: Yeah. And like rope grooving, obviously I've seen like having won canyons over the years. It's kind of amazing to see like this, how rope grooving's increased and gotten worse over the years. And what type of you know, things do like-
0: you think that we could do to help mitigate those types of things?
1: so obviously like using the toggle devices like fiddlesticks when appropriate are good i think being aware of like extending the webbing anchors if one's not comfortable using a toggle device is obviously real important um it's hard to have a lot of people try to get educated in that because you know like climbing i remember i i was probably guilty of some rope grooving when i started out just coming from a climbing background and doing double rope repels and maybe not being as conscious as I should have been on anchor placements and things like that, but obviously learned and, you know, just trying to help foster going forward on that. You now pulling the rope from far back from the lip, I think breaking up like multiple stage repels into several repels might be one because like you can see a lot of rope breathing even in walls start to develop, which is kind of just funny in some ways. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a little bit more time consuming to have to do two or three repels versus one long one. So, I mean, those are all things to consider.
0: Yeah, for sure. They're breaking up a lot of the rappels here in Zion too, because of rope grooves.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm, that's part of just maybe the downside of the popularity of the sport is is you know, obviously sandstone soft, so it's going to take a lot of abuse. Unfortunately.
0: Uh-huh. Anchor placement too, I think, helps out with that. If you notice rope grooves moving, you know, forming. And then moving the anchor a little bit just slightly could help with that. And like you also said with the courtesy anchors, a lot of people don't still don't know how to use those correctly. And so like really the only the last person has to go with the soft start over the edge and everybody else can just repel regularly and then doing a soft start and then stepping back way far to pull the rope using a pull cord or a fiddle stick. Yeah. Those are all, right. all great things.
1: Yeah. So I, hopefully, you know, education can get out there on that and impacts can be minimized. Because obviously, I like higher impacts, I don't think can result to good things, such as like permitting or whatever might happen from that as well.
0: Yeah, it would be weird to have Northwash permitted, I think.
1: Right? I mean, you yeah, never know with like camping <laughs> or pig camping, you know, I, I could yeah. see that in five years, ten years.
0: I do know there was once talk of shutting down the Sandthrax campground and then they stepped in and put in the fire rings and try to encourage everybody to drive down to the restroom at Hogs. And, yeah, if we can all right. respect not... that or bring your own way to eliminate waste is awesome.
1: Yeah, I think the wag bags might be like a good thing. I mean, I'm obviously well practicing that from like doing the multi-day camps. Right. Caving carrying all the waste out and it's really not that bad and there's like uh the burrito bags that we make are pretty bomb proof i mean obviously because a tight squeezing and things like that so i mean and eliminate odors there's that's yeah. really not that bad so i'd maybe encourage the use of that you know because if everybody started going to, out there and every kettle around every bush, right you know it's obviously
0: <laughs> yeah and I, th- I feel like that's why they were gonna close down the camp at one point and then, like, yeah. people were just being more aware of, like, the human waste issue. And yeah. so hopefully moving forward, that does not remain a problem. What what specific yeah. brand do you like to use for the Wag Bags?
1: Uh, so I actually make my own out of uh, uh, gallon freezer Ziplocs. And I usually, like, use two or three. Wow. And what I end up doing is I uh, put a, a little bit of baking soda in the bottom to help neutralize the smell and then, like, dry it up. And uh, I use like new, uh, not. Uh, I use like uh, nitrile gloves, those like latex gloves that I have in there. And so after using like the first bag, I'll wrap the gloves over the burrito bag, and then wrap that up because then if like it that avoids like puncturing, you can like step on it and it expands the latex and not necessarily bust the bag. Wow. And then you know wrap that in another um, gallon ziplock. So it's like not only does that like help it make it a little bit more durable and you know bust resistance but it also you know makes it a little easier for that use there
0: interesting and you know it's that's it's really cool. cheap you know
1: right. what is a couple of gallon of baking soda
0: right that's awesome i'll have to try that i just been using the rest stops yeah. because that's what tom sells online but <laughs> right, right <laughs> yeah says. so <laughs> they work well, well. anyway <laughs> um Moving along, are there any canyons that you would like absolutely not ever do again?
1: Not do again. I I don't know if there's one I wouldn't do again. I mean, obviously I would prefer not to do certain ones, but I'll probably repeat any canyon. Yeah. You know. A th- day out is
0: always a good day out, right? <laughs> it's
1: yeah, exactly. A bad
0: day at work. <laughs> so what brings you out into the wilderness or out into the canyons?
1: Uh, the exploration and then obviously like the team aspect is another aspect that makes canineering fun. It's going with a group of people or like teaching um, or just like the whole teamwork aspect of down climbs, uh, checking anchors, uh, repelling, having good times with friends, things like that. It's absolutely what drives them. In. And of course, the scenery and uh, the technicality and the problem solving is a, is a big aspect to it as well. That makes it fun for everybody.
0: Do you see yourself writing any more different guidebooks or updating the Moab one?
1: There will probably be a second edition uh, MOAB book um, that will probably include, I think, maybe 10 more canyons. So it's a fairly good increase in canyons there. Um, They'll also have uh, updated the maps because I've got a little better with the maps, uh, having learned GIS um, and things like that. And then obviously some of the names have changed. And then maybe just highlight a little bit more of the conservation issues there to make sure those are highlighted. that but that's probably about maybe two years down the line for the moab book and then uh for the mountain uh peak bagging got i'm working on updating uh my 13er range which only included the 13ers which would include the 14ers as well awesome so yeah and then i'm uh working on trying to get the maps uh available that are geo-referenced uh that work real well in like uh apps like avenza on the phone so you can download it via qr code which is uh something I included in the, H- the Hanksville book. So, you know, it's like real-time on your phone. You can just follow the exact map, uh, map that's in the book. Uh, if you, you know, if you're doing whatever canyon color it is on the line, you can stay on the line or whatever there. Awesome. And things like that will be included in an updated version.
0: Yeah, that's a really neat feature um, that the MOA book has, or the Northwash book has, for sure.
1: Yeah. I think it's uh, – I mean, I had a friend that kind of pointed that out to me, and I'd having – used it a little bit more. I'm definitely hooked on using that over like a GPS or like the other phone stuff. You know, just, you know, it's the maps that I can generate, which has a satellite, topo and everything else, which is really nice.
0: Well, cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about canyoneering or your books?
1: Oh, uh, n- no. I mean, just make sure, uh, I mean, try to push with that conservation mindset. Um, try to have fun. Uh, obviously, even, like, sometimes I can get in the trap of, like, being complacent, even being experienced, you know, just make sure to check everything and approaching everything, you know, with a safe mindset and not get complacent. Um, so that's one thing I'll maybe say about that in terms of the canyon area.
0: Yeah, I like to point that out. I had a, um, I ran into, like, a kid in the canyon one time. And his dad was like, wait till I can get down there and check you out. And I was like, I can check him out if you want. And he was like, it's okay. I don't need to be checked. And I was like, no, we all check each other. Like, even though we've been doing this for over 10 years, like we still check each other out. And it's always good to have somebody check you and just like remind the kids like, yeah, you're learning stuff, but it's okay to be checked.
1: I mean, I've, I've messed up even recently, you know, it's good to have People check on me. I come from an aviation background where, like, everybody's double checking everybody, anyways, with like a call and response. But, like, even with climbing, it's uh, you always checking your partner's knot and things like that. So, mm-hmm. it's definitely good to transfer those habits in a canineering or anything in general, really, that is safety related. Yeah,
0: for sure. Sport can get dangerous very fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't need to be, right?
0: <laughs> no, not at all.
1: Not an extreme sport unless you make it one, which is definitely shouldn't be
0: yep exactly complacency is not awesome
1: (laughs) no no
0: anyway um i know canyoneering makes me kind of hungry what is your favorite in canyon
1: snack um i usually go with like the almond uh biscuit bars um and goose i eat a lot of goose that probably comes from just habits of like a, a lot of uh peak bagging and mountaineering aspect i eat a lot of goose Probably. Probably goons.
0: What's your favorite kind of goo?
1: Uh, I like uh, the salted caramel.
0: That does sound good. I like the strawberry um, so far, but I should try the caramel.
1: Yeah, salted caramel. I don't. I actually like the ones with the caffeine. So mm. um, I think birthday cake is one that I don't like because it doesn't have a caffeine and it doesn't taste very well. And
0: Sounds really sweet.
1: Yeah, it's just like eating a frosting. <laughs> Right and Goof 1.
0: Sugar rush. How about your favorite after canyon beverage?
1: Uh, Genesee beer, the cheap beer. Uh, so that's probably my favorite after Kenyan beer. Nice. Is yeah.
0: there an essential piece of gear that you always carry with you?
1: Hmm. Essential piece of gear, I don't know if I have a specific uh set of gear. I mean, obviously, I try to bring everything that would be needed or adequate. So, you know, I don't know, harness rope, uh, a sense of adventure, things like that. Probably actually thinking about my essential piece of gear would be my vehicle. I think that's the essential piece of gear. Because without it, I couldn't do anything, right?
0: Right. Starting canyoneering, I drove a Honda Civic and trying to get it to some of the trailheads did not work out in my favor. <laughs> so I quickly no, yes. to a four-wheel drive.
1: Yeah. I'm currently getting a new uh, rear differential in my Xterra.
0: I love my Xterra. But, uh,
1: <laughs> so.
0: Good luck with that.
1: Yes. I feel
0: like they're very trusty cars. Like I feel like they're a little underrated in the four-wheel
1: drive. They're very underrated. And I'm very disappointed that they're not making them anymore. Because so I'm not sure what I'm going to do yeah. when mine gets too high on the mileage, Fortunately,
0: Mine's pushing to 25 right now. She just keeps going. Oh.
1: Well that's good. That's really good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was talking to my mechanic about it and he was like they're just as good as Toyotas and they get the same gas mileage. I don't know why Toyota drivers lie about their gas mileage. So that was good to hear.
1: <laughs> right. And they're they're twice as expensive to buy as well, right?
0: Exactly. So.
1: Yeah.
0: I'll just keep pushing little dank tank around.
1: Exactly. Which gets me yeah. to some
0: cool places. Good luck with yours cuz they're awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why?
1: Uh, I'd probably go to the Wadi Rum uh, in Jordan for the climbing. Uh, you know, I I'd really I think my number one passion is probably desert climbing and desert tower climbing. I think the sense of adventure and exploration for desert climbing is extremely high there. So that would be a reason to go to the Wadi Rum. And there's probably even potential canyons there, it looks like, as well. So you get a little bit of everything there. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be worth checking out.
0: I only asked that question, so I can expand my list of places. So <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then I'll p- probably Peru for mountaineering and then uh, I'm not sure for caving. I, I bet there's probably a lot of excellent caving in China that would probably be interesting, but again, the politics and all that. And the caving's actually really good in South Dakota. So in terms of exploration. Awesome.
0: I don't know if you know uh, Jake Huddleston. He went to the Himalayas and did some canyoneering exploration in the Himalayas.
1: Oh, I didn't hear about that. Incredible. Yeah. No, that would be good. Yeah. I guess for canyoneering, I think I'd probably focus on New Zealand. And it actually looks like Taiwan has some pretty interesting canyoneering as well. Yeah. I
0: interviewed a girl from Taiwan that has done a bunch of explorations out there. Jasmine, it looks amazing out there.
1: I mean, the White canyons here in Colorado are, are a lot of fun. And then it seems like it's really amped up there. And then the jungle and everything else. Yeah, It's pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure.
0: New Zealand's also high on my list, but I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. So I'd have to do like oh, there you go. Lord uh, of the yeah. Rings and canyoneering at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Anyway, do you have any safety advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we say goodbye?
1: Uh, I think, uh, obviously, with, like the complacence and check your partners and, you know, just if somebody says something, like take it as as a positive, but not necessarily like you go hit or anything like that because everything. And then, uh, yeah, and bring a helmet, uh, definitely bring a helmet. I just ended up getting a, was climbing and got another, I've gone through my second helmet now from an accident. So uh, wear your helmets. So
0: oh, what happened when you were
1: climbing uh was aid climbing uh in the fishers and i was pit a cam and some suspect rock and then it looked okay i looked at it and backed it up the piece and then uh waited it and was looking for my next piece for, on the aid climb and the block just came out and hit me in the head and then i mean if i wasn't wearing a helmet that would have been real bad but i i mean it did a pretty good dent on the styrofoam and, and it's maybe a little bigger than a shoebox size block so i mean it wasn't a I'm glad it only fell only six inches, but still. Yeah. And then I had a lead climbing accident in probably I uh, this was probably twelve years ago in El Dorado Canyon. I took a, a ground fall and hit my head pretty hard. And I am really glad I was wearing a helmet there because I don't think I'd be walking without it. So no, wow. definitely bring it up.
0: Yeah, that's impressionable. I have a lot of climbing friends that don't wear helmets and I'm always like, why? Why don't you wear a helmet? And they're like, I, yeah, don't I mean, wear just it when deep... I'm canyoneering, but not when I'm climbing, because I'm not sure. And I'm like, but I mean, we don't wear it. There's yeah, rock fall, you fall, something jumps yeah, over, rock... makes something fall. There's other reasons to wear your helmet.
1: Yeah, no, it's a lot of good reasons to wear a helmet. So yeah, uh, I that's probably uh, a safety device I don't leave without as well or like a piece of gear. You know.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: Uh, I don't think so. All right. I appreciate your invite and letting me talk. And
0: Yeah. Where can people find you and your book?
1: Uh, they can find them on Um, So that has uh link to all, all my books and the, uh, inksville guide and then it's also got a i'm slowly building uh an online guide between uh projects that is accessible so i'm starting to get stuff from the roost as well as i get my notes kind of digitalized and mapped up. so it'll be hopefully another resource online as well awesome Uh, do you see yourself
0: writing a guidebook for those areas
1: uh no i think uh it's hard i as much as i like actually doing the formatting and the illustrating and the the map work for the books is just uh with the internet and everything it's it's hard to justify doing print runs yeah and the distribution place real tricky for like independent publishers as well
0: okay so just an online, <laughs> online resource for those areas
1: yeah exactly because i take notes of everything anyway so it's just yeah. a way to visualize my notes I maps and everything and hopefully make it you know again trying to minimize impacts and routes and everything nice
0: They can also get the Moab and the Hanksville book from canyoneering USA. And then I can include a canyons are calling sticker. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. The canyons are calling. Yep. We should probably go. Okay. That concludes my interview with Derek. I hope you enjoyed it. It makes me really want to get into caving sounds awesome I have friends that do it and I really want to get into it one of these days I'm just a little claustrophobic <laughs> anyway if you like one of Derek's books you can check that out at Xanadu Zan- Mountain Press is X-A-N-A-D-U mountainpress.com you can also order the Northwash and the Moab canyoneering books from canyoneering USA and if you mentioned that you heard this on the podcast I will throw in a Canyons calling sticker for you. So head on over, get yourself an adventure book and a sticker. <laughs> um, also, if you need a way to stay warm this winter, Rumple Blankets has your back. They have this cute little clip thing, so it makes it like a cape. They're super comfy. And I love mine for camping adventures. I also have a stash mat for when we're just having a picnic, laying on the ground and relax out there um they also have super soft serpa fleece for when you're just cozying up on the couch and want to have a blanket around you this time of year (laughs) so if you check out the rumple link in the show notes i'll get a little kickback out of theirs if you order from there so check those out and stay warm this winter also, if you have an idea for the show, don't hesitate to reach out. The calling at gmail.com. I really appreciate just saying hello, hearing that you listen to the show, and any ideas for guests. So please reach out there. If you're enjoying this beautiful music in the background, shout out to Z, the handpan man. You can find him at zthehandpanman.com. Or wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Apple, all those places. Also, the little introduction in the beginning was written by Tig Booth. Shout out to him and thank you very much for writing that little jingle for us. And to little Ashes and Connor who do this Canyons are Calling part. I loved my little grandkids (laughs) so much. Anyway, the Canyons are Calling. We should probably go.